Everyone wants a healthy body, diet, and lifestyle in order to live a long, healthy life. But there seems to be so many rules for what we should and shouldn't be eating and the type of diet we should be on. Today, I'm chatting with Fiona Kane from Informed Health about healing yourself via nutrition. Right now, you could be suffering from a condition that could be healed or at least dramatically improved by upgrading your diet. And Fiona has some great tips to help get your body back on track. This episode of Marketing Me is part of Improving Your Physical Health Month. If you love this one, make sure you check out the last couple of episodes with Katrina and Alice after tuning in today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Marketing and Me podcast. If you're eager to grow your health and wellness business via effective marketing methods while maintaining your own health and wellness, this podcast is for you. The show features a beautiful blend of guest and solo episodes covering marketing and business growth topics, as well as ways to improve your physical, mental, and emotional self. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, and I run a health and wellness copywriting agency while also offering content marketing training. So whether you're keen to outsource or DIY, my team at Right Time Marketing is here for you. Either way, we'll ensure your message is seen and heard by your ideal client. So if you're free, you're keen to connect, feel free to book in a free 50-minute chat after listening to today's episode. The details are in the show notes. And today I'm joined by my guest, Fiona Kane. Welcome, Fiona. Hi, it's good to be here. Great to have you here. We've known each other for a few years now, um, especially see each other fairly regularly on the, the networking circuit. Uh, and I love, yeah, love the work that you do. It's absolutely awesome. So I'll just jump into your bio so everyone knows who you are and then we'll hit you with some questions. Great. Uh, so uh, Fiona is an experienced and award-winning nutritional medicine practitioner, mind-body eating coach, and holistic counsellor. Fiona does one-on-one nutrition slash coaching consultations with individuals via telehealth video and also runs online group health programs. She supports gym health challenges as well. Fiona is a speaker on health and nutrition with appearances on 2GB, Ticker TV, 6PR, ABC Radio, and Triple M. Very, very cool. So tell us a little bit more about your business journey. What brought you to the whole nutrition space? Oh, wow. Um, So what brought me to the whole nutrition space is really it's quite interesting because when I was young, I was not at all interested in health or nutrition, not even slightly. (laughs) If you had have told me when I was a teenager or even in my early 20s that I was going to be doing this job, it would have been hilarious. And um, really what brought me to it is what, brings a lot of people to the health space actually it's when my health started to fail so most of us just not that interested in our health until we don't have it and my health started to fail when I was in my mid-20s and that's when I first became interested so when I was 25 I had a stroke and when they scanned my brain, I'd actually had more than one. Um, it had been over a period of time. And so I had, um, had a few spots of brain damage. And, um, and so since then, I've been partially blind. 
and I've had a whole bunch of health issues that relate to um, to losing certain brain cells in certain areas. And um, and it's been a long road since then, re- regaining my health, learning how to look after my health because I didn't really know how to do it before then. And there's a lot of anxiety and stress that goes with having those kinds of issues at that age. Uh, my grandmother died from a brain hemorrhage when she was 30, so I thought that that was my future. Uh, so when I thought that was my future, it, it took me a while. It's not just learning the practical things, but it's actually overcoming the mind stuff to uh, really just get control of your life and, um, and and look after yourself and just move forward and as a long journey. Yeah. Oh, that would have been so scary being, yeah, mid-20s going, oh, oh wow, I could just, it could be hereditary. It could be because, you know, considering the stroke all in the brain, it's, yes. yeah, very scary. Definitely. So it just changed everything. It's just changed my whole life. Uh, and I'm looking back, I'm kind of glad though because I was just, I had a lot of behaviours that were really detrimental to my health. And most of us don't start thinking about our health until, like I said, we start to lose it. And that's often in our 40s or 50s or later. And by then, a lot of damage is already done. So in a way, learning how to check in and be present and look after my health at such a young age has actually been really beneficial as I get older because I'm not now having to figure it out. I kind of... um, I did that, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. But, you know, I, I got over the fact that I need to do something to look after my health a long time ago and that I need to be present with that, whereas many of us, you know, oh, we'll do that later, you know, and, until, you know, that's what most people do, you know, but I kind of just didn't get the opportunity to do it later. I had to do it earlier. And because I did it earlier, probably I got later uh, and, you know, so we'll see. <laughs> so is that why like why nutrition why that particular i mean because obviously health includes your physical health in terms of exercise and um why nutrition well i was one of those children that didn't eat anything and even though uh you know mum did do the you know the basics you know the meat three veg thing which is fine which is great she also showed love with food. So she pretty much let me get away with not really eating the meat and three veg and kind of eating the chalky bickies and the ice creams and whatever it was. And I look like I, I'm glad I never, or I don't have children, but if I ever had a child that was like me, it would be terrible. I was one of those kids that had the triple ice cream in the one hand and the chocolate in the other hand, and I was sitting on the floor screaming because I wanted something else. So it must not have been fun for my poor mother. So, um, so. I had very poor nutrition as a child and even though mum tried to give me good nutrition, she also didn't really understand why or what it was about because you don't know if you don't know. And now we have many generations of people who just don't really understand like why is nutrition important and what's it about. And then if you add to that difficult children like me, <laughs> it makes it a whole lot worse. So, you know, essentially uh, I knew that I knew that my diet was poor. I did have that much information and I knew that my diet mattered, but I just didn't quite know. So I actually studied nutrition so I could get well. Um, And I studied counselling at the same time because I also knew I had some head stuff to sort out. So I had enough insight to know it wasn't quite right. And and my study was all about, was, was very selfish. It was all about me. It was about what can I do to heal me? 
Well, we've got to start with you. And I think, like you said, it's probably brought a lot of people to their health journey uh, based on their own health or a family member's health or something like that. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, and I need and- to empower myself because specialists often really frighten you. And, um, and I mean well, but it can be very frightening. And so I just realised, I, I just felt really disempowered. So I thought studying and learning and actually understanding would help me to feel empowered. And it did. Yeah, and then you're very relatable with your clients because you're like, I 100% get where you're going and trying yes. to wean yourself off the sweets. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I'm like saying now that I've got it all sorted and I don't want you Were you still eating like junk food into like your mid 20s? Like, is that how long it kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And and I was drinking quite heavily until my early twenties as well. So I, I don't haven't drunk for a long time, but I, I drank a lot over several years. Uh and so I think um yeah, and genetically in my family, it just probably was not a good idea. So yeah, I was a lot of behaviors that were just not helpful to me. But yeah, really junky diet. Yeah, wow. And and so tell us what is mind body nutrition? So mind-body nutrition is accepting that even though nutrition is really powerful and I'll go on and on about that to the cows come home because it is so important, it's not just about what you eat. It's about how you eat and it's about your mindset. Um, and I'll give you an example of what you, what I mean is when we look at diet studies and they look at Mediterranean diet or this diet or that diet or longevity studies, they always get very fixated on you know, how much broccoli or how much olive oil or whatever but the other thing that they often miss that I look at when I look at these studies is these people were connected in their communities they were important as they got older they were valuable members of the community who were wise that people went to they weren't discarded and thought of as silly and old Um, they were communities where people actually walked all of the time there were communities where people were active and, and and communities where people sat and had, you know, like the, the sit down and have a slow, long lunch with your family and maybe have a glass of wine and, and maybe relax. So those things, how you eat, the energy you bring towards it, whether or not you think food is your enemy and you need to go and work it off on the treadmill straight away because it's calories and they're your enemy, or whether or not you think about food as something that nourishes you and whether you're sitting and eating in a relaxed way or whether you're just downing it in the car on the way somewhere, that that all makes a big difference. And also in our world, I find that many of us, particularly women, but many of us have lots of stories and lots of shame and lots of stuff around food and diets and body and all of those things. So in my experience, I find those things often will get in the way so while we might know a certain way of eating is good for us, all the other stuff gets in the way. So I think that you really have to approach health in a holistic way, looking at all of the factors, not just eat broccoli. It's, you know, broccoli is great, but it's it's more complicated than that. We're human beings. We're complicated. You know, I've got, as you know, I have food intolerances and broccoli because um, – I, it was one of the foods when I did this, you know, on the low FODMAPS diet, for those familiar with it, and broccoli was something that could set me off. And um, it made me, sometimes I'm actually fearful of good food because I'm like, I don't know if it's going to upset my stomach. And so I kind of eat broccoli, just you're talking about it, with a little bit of fear going, oh, okay, I better just have a little bit or oh, I hope I don't react. And I'm probably 
feeding that a little bit, um, pun the pun, um, that anxiety that I might have, a, you know, some sort of that effect. Yeah. And so I'm sometimes, I sometimes catch myself thinking, if it's something healthy, oh, you know, I might as well have something that, that unhealthy thing, which I know I don't react to, versus that healthy thing, which I may react to, and yes. you get caught up in these mind games. Well, that's really common for people who have food sensitivities. And if you do know ultimately that something doesn't work for you, whether it's broccoli or not, uh, you know, it's, it's if it's not doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. So it is okay to avoid the broccoli if you know that you actually react to that. Uh, and and it's, as you know, it's, it's sensible to do that. Um, if you've reacted once and then 99 times, uh, you know, you don't, well, that's a different thing. Um, but it's really, really common for people with food sensitivities to, to be that way, though, because we're so fearful because I have them as well. And you're so fearful of what can happen. And, and you know, you have to have them sometimes they're quite severe to know how debilitating they can be or how embarrassing they can be or whatever it is that, that happens for you when you eat certain foods. So, yeah, that can actually be one of the things that creates a certain type of disordered eating, really. Um, but I can totally understand where it comes from because you've, you've got that fear. So for lots of reasons, a lot of us will have fear when we approach our dinner plate and um, and going in there already feeling stressed and already with those stress hormones is already an issue before you even think about what's on the plate. That's why it's so important to look at the whole story and not just look at, um, yeah. Yeah, makes Probably. sense because uh, like if I am stressed or feeling anxious and I'm eating quickly because I'm about to go out, that's when the food just sits and doesn't digest properly. Like, yeah. um, versus when I'm relaxed, it's eating slowly. I'm like, yeah, okay, kids, they're watching ABC Kids while we eat. I'm reading my book. I'm just, yeah. it's very different. Um, yeah, so it's very interesting. So it's a little bit, yeah, relaxed. emotions. Yeah, yeah when you're relaxed, your body can make digestive enzymes. But when we're busy and stressed, our body actually thinks we're being chased by a lion. And if your body literally thinks you're about to get eaten by a lion, digesting your lunch is not as important as not becoming lunch, right? Your body thinks you're about to become lunch, right? So it's, it, doesn't, it does not care about digestion. So it actually stops sending circulation to your digestive organs um, and also to your fertility organs um, because those are just not important when you're about to die. So unfortunately, we don't realise that's what's going on. But when we approach food in a stressed manner, our body, it's, it's an ancient body, no different to, you know, our caveman ancestors really, and it actually thinks you're about to die. And if you're approaching every meal with your body thinking you're about to die, can you just imagine how that doesn't work really well and you're just not making digestive enzymes, so you're more likely to get all of the digestive symptoms. This is something with our clients when we got, talk about digestive issues with them. It's the food sometimes the small part. <laughs> the big part is how you actually eat. Like what state is your body and mind in when you actually eat? And it's it's just as important, if not more important. Yeah, I've never been thought of like that. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah. Um, and so tell me, like, how much can your diet influence your health and how much is impacted by genetics? Because obviously you have some people this. Like, oh, that's just your body type that, you know, your father was like that or your mother was like that and that's just life, deal with it. Um, like can diet just, yeah, what's it like percentage-wise, like the, the split between yeah, the diet and genetics in terms of your health? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a good question. And and there are there's genetics and there's epigenetics. And epigenetics is a huge topic I'm going to talk about, a little fraction of it, but that's okay for the purposes of this. But, um, oh, sorry, eating my hair. So <laughs> genetics is 
as we all know, it's uh, whether it's your brown eyes or the colour of your skin or the colour of your hair or those things. But it's also whether or not you might have inherited the gene for celiac disease or bowel cancer or whatever else, other health things. And um, and genetics certainly does matter. And there are some nasty genetic um, diseases that are quite prominent. But in general, with most of the general uh, genetic things that we inherit, they they maybe control 20 to 30% of what happens, but epigenetics controls 70 to 80% of what happens. And epigenetics is lifestyle. So genetics is the loaded gun, so it's what you're born with, but epigenetics is whether or not you pull the trigger. So epigenetics is considered to be the major part of it in most cases for most types of conditions. And so therefore it's considered you have about a 70 to 80% influence on whether or not that gene actually is triggered. And that can relate to what you eat, how you eat, whether or not you exercise, how stressed you are, whether or not you smoke, you know, lots of factors. But um, so you have a lot of power. And the way I look at it is, Yes, there's not a whole lot you can do about your genetics, but why spend all of your time stressing about that? To me, it's like, well, just be empowered and take control of the bit that you can control. So I try and control my epigenetics and stop those uh, triggers from being pulled for the genetic things that are in my family. Because a lot of what people think is genetics is lifestyle, that you're just copying the lifestyle of your parents and your grandparents. It's not actually genetically definite that you're going to get the thing. It is in some cases, but in many cases it's not. Uh, it's actually the fact that you're copying the behaviours and the lifestyle of that person or those um, that first family members, which is why you get it rather than just because you genetically were prone to it. Yeah, that's very interesting. So if, if family member has, a family member has like cancer or something, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get it if your lifestyle is very different from them. Like if you're living basically the same life, then that's the lifestyle factors that can then trigger it. It can make a big difference. And it's different with different cancers. And, and by no means is this a judgment on anyone who gets sick or anyone who gets cancer or anything like that. There's a percentage of life that is just... It is what it is, right? <laughs> Stuff happens. So encouraging people to empower themselves is by no means having a go at or blaming people um, who have had or do get these conditions. Um, it's not about blame and it's not about shame and it's not about, oh, I'm better than that person. It simply is just if there's anything you can do in your power to help you avoid that, well, you know, go for that, you know. So it's, it's not a judgy thing or, a you know, oh, well, if you do this, you definitely won't get that because I think that's just too, that's very, very narrow, black and white, rigid thinking that isn't helpful and it's not true as well because it's just sometimes it's just bad luck. Yeah. So are there any particular health conditions that can greatly benefit from changing your diet? Uh, most gut conditions, yes, for sure, probably all gut conditions, but definitely most gut conditions. Um, most conditions actually, um, but particularly in my experience, um, one would be metabolic syndrome, so which is anything along the lines of blood pressure, uh, blood cholesterol or diabetes, insulin resistance, all of those kind of metabolic syndrome things, um, which all lead into sort of heart disease and, and horrible things ultimately. Um, they are all very, very, uh, very controllable and very reversible with diet. 
I'm not type 1 diabetes, although that is still very controllable with diet, but I'm not saying you can reverse all of it. That's a whole different thing. But the diabetes that comes with metabolic syndrome, the, the lifestyle-related type 2 diabetes, those conditions, all of those things that are put under the banner of metabolic syndrome are very, rever- very reversible and very controllable. And, um, and I've seen a huge impact with my clients quite often. I've seen within six weeks someone reverse back to they no longer have fatty liver, they no longer have insulin resistance, they're no longer at risk for diabetes. You know, so it can happen that fast. And you can put yourself in a state where you're pre-diabetic really quickly as well. Um, in that sugar film, that's actually what Damon Gamo did for 40 days, I think it was 40 days, he was eating the equivalent to 40 teaspoons of sugar per day. And he wasn't doing it with junk food. He was doing it in so-called health foods, uh, you know, the low-fat this and the low-fat that and all of the ones that advertise themselves as being healthy but they're full of sugar. And within three weeks, he was actually becoming insulin-resistant and pre-diabetic. So that their conditions are very powerful. You can very powerfully put yourself into it very quickly and you can very powerfully get yourself out of it as well so that they're the ones i see huge results in but anything gut related or if people have food sensitivities or things like that if you're eating things that are are, you know inflaming you when you change your diet and when you start eating a diet that works for you that nourishes you it makes a huge difference yeah i I saw that movie and yeah i remember like all these products that you think are healthy because they're put in the health food aisle um but you look at the box and you see how much sugar's in it um and and then you compare it to yeah if you literally got that you know white sugar and you see how much is in it it just kind of makes you go wow okay and the other one is mental health and i'm not talking about treating like bipolar or specific conditions but in general our just general mental health you know energy mood motivation in that case, again, in that sugar film, you would have seen it. Um, when you're eating a really poor diet and when you're eating a lot of sugar and you've got these blood sugar roller coasters, you're going up and down, up and down, up and down. When we eat that way, our energy goes up and down, our mood goes up and down, and we get you know, hangry, hungry and angry, you know. Oh, yes, we get hangry in our house, everyone. <laughs> and, then, you know, and, and then you can get this sort of like, uh, you know, with Damon Gamow in that sugar film, he became quite sort of, you know, wired and tired. Um, but it wasn't a useful energy. It was just like a frantic energy, you know. Um, so even just that, we do know that um, that you can have a lot more stable mood, stable energy and um, and better quality energy uh, and better quality sleep when we eat well um, as opposed to when we eat really poorly. We tend to just have these roller coasters of emotions and energy. And, and you know, the roller coasters make you crave more of the caffeines and the sugars and things like that to boost you and ultimately they drive the problem drive you further down the road and further into the problem so you see a big difference too with those things with people. yeah for sure and I know I, I like to work a little treat before you know like say nine o'clock at night with my tea but lately I've realized it then takes me longer to go to sleep like whenever I do and yes. so I'm, I'm starting to have like a yeah a low sugar piece of like dark chocolate type thing so I have that something sweet but it's not going to affect when it time because quite often um, I'm exhausted when it comes to that time of night, but I'm like, oh no, this is me time now. I've got to, I've got to stay away for at least another hour to kind of hang out in the couch with my hubby. So I kind of then go, oh, I'll have something sweet to kind of keep me going. But then it just doesn't, yeah, it, was, it affects my sleep when I really 
need to sleep probably. Yeah, um, yeah. It's evil to have something this week, but it's just it's all about what works for you and how much works for you and is there a better quality version of that for you. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and, and even with myself, I've, I, I've got two autoimmune diseases and they've both been in remission for I think over 10 years now. And the one thing I've done that whole time, which for me was the right thing, was I've been gluten-free. And that, so that can be a huge thing for some people, not for everybody, not everyone has to be gluten-free, but in my case, um, it's made a really big difference. So, so that can be really powerful, but different changes or different adjustments work for different people because it depends on you and what's going on for you. Um, gluten's not evil. It just is not my friend. Um, other people are fine, you know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, onion and garlic are definitely not my friends. Like they're actually, because I try to avoid the yeah the gluten and dairy, um, but I can actually have a bit of gluten and dairy and it's just a bit of discomfort maybe. Um, but onion and garlic seem to really set me off. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm, I love them, they're fine. No. Yeah. Uh, so in your opinion, is there a perfect diet? Does that even exist? Um. Yes and no. Um, not really, no. There's not a perfect diet or one perfect diet. Um, the perfect diet is the one that works for you at that time. And that can be quite changeable, um, especially for women, because we go through so many different stages in our life. So what will work for you when you're 18 versus when you're 38 versus when you're 58? very different and especially if you have children or or we want you to go to menopause or whatever it is that it's quite different works for you Uh, and and we do get a bit caught up on there's only one way and and quite often and I know that I've been guilty of this when you do find a particular diet that works for you or it works for you for a period of time um we do get quite evangelical about it everyone has to be keto or paleo or vegan or like whatever the thing is so we get very excitable about it and you know that's it's lovely and all but it's it doesn't mean it's the right one for everybody and it doesn't even mean it's the right one for you forever um so i think the the, the best diet is the one that works for you um what is interesting though is when you do look historically at um at all the studies we've done on diets from all around the world um, there's been no there's no civilization that lived it in a purely vegan diet. It's just never happened. Um, so veg, sort of more vegetables, less vegetable, whatever. Yes, um, more meat, less meat. Yes, but there's been no civilization that has survived in a purely vegan diet. Um, and so I think there are. There, I personally think there are a lot of challenges around that diet. People can choose that, and it's up to them. But it's certainly not a diet that you can do without supplementation because you simply don't get all of your nutrients on that diet. And there's been no civilization who's successfully done it in the past because you actually need a lot of modern stuff like synthetic vitamins and you know modern technology to go into a factory or something and make certain foods or whatever that um, didn't exist for our ancestors so that's the only diet I would say that big question marks around how healthy it is for a long period for people but still some people do it and it really seems to work for them but they have to do supplementation at some point yeah, so I don't want to ask you the question around yeah, meat and avoiding meat. Um, I, mean, I have heard it's good to have, you know, a couple of vegetarian meals all days a week or something. What are your thoughts on meat? I mean, obviously ethics aside in terms of animals, but eating it, consuming it, is it harmful to our health? Certain meat's better. What are your thoughts? So 
I will approach this purely from a science point of view, forgetting, like you said, the ethics, religion, whatever. <laughs> that's yeah. that's your own business. Do what you want with that. Yeah. Um, so I, as a nutritionist, I'm just going to speak about it from a nutritional point of view. Uh, first of all, again, it's what works for you. So it's listening to your body and it's working with your body. And some people do better if they have more meat-free days and some people need to have more meat and it, it just sits well with them. It works for them. They, they keep their nutrients. They have energy. They feel good, you know. So, it's again, it's not a one-size thing. Um, what we do here, though, is, and, of course, if I'm going to recommend meat, I'm going to recommend quality. Like if, if, it was, if it's free-range, if the animal was relatively happy in its life and if the animal was fed properly and looked after, obviously, that quality of that meat is going to be better quality and also you're going to feel better ethically about it. So I think quality meat matters. So I think eating, the when they do studies on meat and when they do all the meat is bad studies, which there's been many of, and when you read them and when you look at them, when you really look at the study, they're first of all, they're all correlational studies. So a correlational study, in the same study you could look at it and go, people with brown dogs die earlier. So it must be brown dogs, right? So in correlational studies, you're kind of looking for what do you think is the thing that's causing this problem. And depending on your bias, Mm -hmm. and don't forget a lot of studies have been done on um, people who are Seventh-day Adventists who are vegetarians for religious reasons. And, again, that's fine. It's their choice and it's their religious reasons and that's wonderful, but that's not science. That's religion, right? So when we look at these studies, they're correlational. They're kind of going, well, we think it's the meat. It might not be the meat. It might be something else, but we think it's the meat. Um, and they're also what they're doing is they're not looking at, you know, earlier before I was talking about the context of how you eat. So they don't differentiate between the person who their meat that they eat is the stuff they, they get in the drive through on the way home along with the Coke and the fries and the Sunday and whatever else and maybe even the smoke following up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and he's probably not doing a lot of exercise and possibly even is, you know, um, not really positive in their overall mindset. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, but they don't differentiate between that meat eating and the person who has meat as part of a healthy diet and they're eating loads of veggies and they drink plenty of water and they're not smoking and they're exercising and they're you know they're doing lots of positive things and they're part connected in their community. They're grouped together. They're meat eaters. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when you look at it, they, they don't differentiate those two things. And I think there's a big difference between those two things. So I think eating quality meat or whatever type of meat you're happy with, whether that means red, you know, fish, chicken, whatever it is, um, or or a little bit of all of it, if that works for you. Um, I I eat pretty much everything, um, and that works for me. I, I prefer that. I like that. Um, and I do better if I eat red meat. Um, I don't do well if I stop eating red meat, um, so I know that it works for me. Um, but I think good quality, how you eat it, what you eat it with, a really healthy diet, um, that works. And I don't think you necessarily have to have meat-free days, but if you do that, and you feel better or you save money or you feel better about for other reasons, whatever it is, well, great, do that. But I don't think you have to. Um, and it's, But it's just about the difference between whether or not you're eating a good quality piece of meat or you're eating like Devon. 
<laughs> you know, or it comes wrapped in a burger or something like that from the drive-through. So I think the quality of what you're having makes a big difference. Uh, but then what you do is is like is really really up to you. But every several studies have come out. It's on my blog. If anyone's got, just go type in me um, at my blog, um, which is informedhealth.com.au. But if you go there and you have a look, um, I've listed. I've written about it a few times and kind of listed the studies and things. And they've just done like a study where they look at all of the studies to see how valid it was. And they kind of said, uh, we looked at all the studies that said meat was bad and they're not really that legit. <laughs> so there's lots of questions about them. So um, the problem with studies is it's all about who paid for it, what their agenda is. I was going to say the sponsors. Yep. And how they want to interpret it. And nutrition studies are terrible for that. So I don't think meat is all evil and not eating meat is like what everyone must do and must aspire to. I think aspire to what sits well with you ethically and in your body and um, and just do what works for you. But whatever you eat, make sure it's quality and it's real. Um, I'm always kind of, you know, my thing is, did your great-grandmother, would your great-grandmother recognise it as food? If she would, eat it. If she wouldn't, it's not food. So. <laughs> what's this packet and what's this thing this thing um what does it look like something weird yeah. it's quite a chip whatever <laughs> it is like junk food is junk food you know um yeah. and synthetic garbage is synthetic garbage whether or not it's yeah. got the word natural on it or you know so it's just just eat real food really is yeah. the best philosophy and don't be afraid of meat um just do what sits well for you and what works for you and um and if you're not sure just get help from professional like me to get the vibe get what you need yeah yeah i love it and, and so there's also one i want to ask you about like fats and oils and cholesterol like what are your thoughts on avoiding those or including those in your diet uh yeah look this could be a couple of hour talk on its own yeah. and it has, has been so i'll try to really really yeah. this. <laughs> so cholesterol is natural your body makes a whole bunch of it. All your cells can make it and your liver makes about 70 to 80% of your cholesterol. And it does that for a really, really good reason because you need cholesterol for a whole bunch of functions in your body. So you use cholesterol to make all of your sex hormones, so testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, they're all made from cholesterol. You need cholesterol to, uh, most of your brain is made from cholesterol and you need cholesterol to get nutrients into your bones you know so to get your calcium into your bones you need cholesterol um, and the vitamin d and the other nutrients that you need to get in your bones they all require cholesterol to get into your bones so if you don't have the cholesterol that's like the whole low-fat milk thing you don't have fat can't get the nutrients from the milk into the bones right so you need the fat to get the nutrients into the bones remember would your great grandmother recognize it as food she wouldn't recognize skinny milk right? <laughs> <laughs> so um so it's we need cholesterol. It's really important. And it's also actually every single nerve fiber in your body is surrounded by a layer of cholesterol, which allows me to get the message to make my arms move, you know. Um, and people with MS, it's that cholesterol layer that gets damaged. It's called the myelin sheath, right? It's made from cholesterol. Oh, okay. So cholesterol is vital for life. So we don't need to go out of our way to treat cholesterol or not have cholesterol. Now, if someone does have high cholesterol, and and it's and it's a problem. It is only a problem if they've got lots of other high numbers. So if they've got high sugar, 
like high insulin, high glucose, if those other numbers, and they've got high blood pressure. So it's that metabolic syndrome I was talking about before. So essentially, if you've got all of those other numbers high and your cholesterol is high, then the type of cholesterol you have is a problem. But we don't need to treat the cholesterol. We need to treat the metabolic syndrome, which caused the high cholesterol. And the metabolic syndrome is not caused by the fat, the fat you eat, except for one. I'll tell you in a moment. But it's caused by all the sugar and carbs in your diet. So the, the, the fix for high cholesterol is not to have a cholesterol-lowering margarine or is not to avoid eating fat. Because if you eat less fat, your body will make more cholesterol because your body knows you need it, right? So if you have a problem with the wrong kind of cholesterol, you've got to back off on the sugar. <laughs> and the only fats that are a real problem to eat, like I think generally speaking, again, is the fat something that your great-grandmother would recognise as food, right? So she would recognise butter and lard and full cream milk and cheese and eggs and meat and oil from fish and olive oil and things like that, nuts and seeds and avocados, right? She would recognise all of those. They're all healthy oils. They all just come naturally, right? What she wouldn't recognise is that, you know, the the bottle of vegetable oil or the margarine. So those cheap oils, the cottonseed oil, the canola oils, those sorts of things. So the ones that come in, they're clear plastic and they're in the supermarket in the heat and oils don't like heat. So there's a good hint there that it's not a good quality oil. Those oils do cause insulin resistance and they cause macular degeneration and they make you very tired and cause lots of health problems. So the only oils we need to avoid are the, one, the fake ones, the okay. ones that don't naturally come from food. Um, and and um, canola oil is included in that. So basically all of the seed oils. The is, olive oil, is that the main Olive oil is fine. So if it comes, generally speaking, if it comes in a dark glass bottle, Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good quality oil because they they've made the effort to actually and if it's cold pressed even better. Because if they cold press it, it means they didn't heat it to get it from the plant. Um, and if they put it in a dark glass bottle, it means they're protecting the integrity of the oil. But those other ones that you see, those ones in the clear plastic, they've been heated to such high temperatures that even if they were good to start with, the quality of them now is so poor that they're going to be damaging to your health. And probably not the ones that you spray on, right? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Like, I mean, sometimes we can use them, and if I do, I'll reuse an olive oil one. But generally speaking, just real oils, um, real oils that come um, that are natural and more often than not things that are like cold-pressed, extra virgin, that kind of thing, a, more better, a better quality. But, um, but you do not fix uh, your health problems by not eating fat. Uh, there are some health conditions where that fat can be an issue, but that's when you work with a professional like me to work on what that looks like or what that means for you or if they're better fats. You know, for say someone who doesn't have a gallbladder or something, it can be challenging. But in general, fat isn't bad and it's just if you eat it the way that it's meant to be eaten, as in you have your olive oil with your salad and your fish, you know, and there's some avocado in there or you have some nuts and seeds with your bit of fruit, you know. When we eat it in the way it's meant to be eaten like that, fat is perfectly fine and healthy and it makes you feel full as well. So it keeps you going for longer, the fat and the protein. Whereas, if again, if the fat is the stuff that comes in the drive through food, um, in the packaged food, in the junk food, or we're using that $2 bottle that we get from the supermarket to cook things that's a very poor quality fat and that's the sort of fat that you need to stay away from but don't be afraid of cholesterol 
Um, Dr. Ross Walker, he's a cardiologist, and he says he doesn't treat cholesterol. He treats risk, and it's very important to understand the difference. Cholesterol doesn't mean risk. You actually do need it. It's vital. So it's just getting the right advice and the right help. Back off the sugar. That's a really good start. Yeah, and in that sugar movie, it, it brings up that um, sugar is more of an issue than the fat. But, you know, there's a whole fat-free movement and the, or the low-fat, blah, blah, blah. But then you see what the sugars are in it to make up for it, and it, that's actually worse. And, and so, it's the sugar that causes the metabolic syndrome and the problems, yes. Yeah. And when you remove fat from food, it tastes dreadful. So what do you think they put in there to replace the fat? <laughs> sugar, right? So in most cases, you're much better off just with the full fat. Again, would your great-grandmother recognise it as food? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this went great. Thank I'm you. showing my age, but when I was a kid, the milk bottles, we used to get the milk bottles delivered and they had the fat on top. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, yeah. They were glass bottles and they had that fat dollop and that was really, to be able to get to be the person to, to, to eat that, to drink that was, you know, we knew it was a good thing. And, and, and actually historically cultures have always known that. Cultures know where nutrients come from. Often with the pregnant women in the culture, they get them to eat the fatty thing or they get them to eat the fish eggs or they get them. There's a special food that they have for the pregnant women in the tribe and it's and it's the most nutrient-rich food. So you look at these ancient cultures, if you want to know where nutrients are, look at what they do. They just have this knowledge that we just seem to have just lost in the last few few generations really just yeah it's just about speed and convenience and just like whatever yes. i can grab in a packet or drive through or whatever yeah yeah uh, this has been great thank you so much um yeah obviously people can reach out to you which i'll, I'll, I'll ask you shortly about how they can connect with you but i want to ask how do you take care of your health and wellness kind of touch upon this a little bit but yes yes so it's a work in progress i do have quite a few health issues and it is something that I have to maintain Uh, I can't sort of just not think about it for a while because it doesn't work that way so I do have to move my body I think everyone should move their body anyway but I really do have to move my body if I don't walk or move every day um, I really pay for it I have a lot of pain so uh, and really um, inability to move if I don't move so I've really got to move it Uh, so definitely walking um, and the gym when I can. I like to go to the gym a couple of times a week. It's not always possible, uh, but I do when I can. And I, and I pull walk. I get in the pool and I walk and I walk and I walk. Um, and I do also some weights. That's really, really important. Um, as we get older, we have to understand to, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now, I'll be 51 this year, to maintain our bone mass and our muscle mass, we must move our body and we must do some sort of very, some type of weight, whether it's walking in a pool or doing weights or whatever it is, we need weight-bearing exercise to stay functional. Um, so I do that and I also eat generally very well. Um, I have protein with every meal because protein, I didn't even go through protein, but it's, it's the food of life. Everything's made from protein in your whole body and your neurotransmitters are things that make you feel happy are made from protein. Um, and the things that aren't made from protein are made from fat. So the protein and fat make pretty much everything in your body, which is why it's important to eat them. And I eat plenty of vegetables and um, and I, I meditate. And look, I do, I do the sugar sometimes. I do have an issue with emotional eating I am a human being just like everybody else. I don't always get it perfect or do it perfect, nor do I try to do it perfect because I think, you know, life, it's just it's okay. Um, but the main thing I do to look after myself is I'm present, I check in, I stay conscious, and on, day, on a day-to-day basis I kind of go, well, what does self-care look like for me today? What do I need? 
And it might mean that I need to sleep and have a nap. It might mean that I need to go out and walk. It might mean, oh, wow, I haven't had enough water. I'm dehydrated. But it's just really paying attention to sort of what I need. And it's also being conscious, you know, like if I emotionally eat, like I went through a stressful thing a few weeks ago and I really got stuck in the chocolate for a couple of days. And I consciously did it. I knew what I was doing. And I just had enough self-compassion to go, that's okay. But I also had enough awareness and compassion to three or four days later say, eh, not okay anymore. There's a difference between compassion and just sabotaging your health. You know, it's it's not the same thing. So it's not about practicing self-care or the way I look after myself. It's not about being rigid or having like all these big horrible rules or anything, but it's just more about tuning in, playing around with what works for me, being kind to myself. And, um, and just doing what I need on that day to practice self-care, whatever that looks like. But it generally looks like moving, eating well, and really um, practicing a lot of uh, thinking about my mindset and my narrative, the stories I'm telling myself, just noticing the language I'm using because our language is really powerful. So they're the sorts of things I work on on a day-to-day basis and also just keeping connected. Connections are one of the biggest predictors of lack of like lack of brain function and not getting not getting to an old nice ripe old age or not being well when we get older is lack of connection it's a bigger people worry about cholesterol connection is actually a bigger risk than cholesterol so also try and maintain connection connection with friends or family and, and loved ones that's so important for our health it's so important for our mental health so it's sort of a mixture of all those things and sometimes yeah. specialists and you know blood tests and all of that rigmarole or going and doing this, all the things that we do as we get older or, you know, and that women do and that just in general we do as we get older, um, you know, prevention screens and things like that. Yeah. But generally just staying conscious, being aware, listening to my body and doing the best I can to um, nurture it. I do love that. And, yeah, it's about, yeah, being kind to yourself, go, it is okay to bend the rules a little bit today because I'm feeling a bit, eh. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I always say very conscious, I think, uh, like yeah, I try to avoid the gluten dairy, as I said. But if I'm if I haven't reacted in a while, I'm like actually I feel good. I probably could have a little bit of that, and I'll be fine. I usually am. But it's yeah. when I'm not conscious, and I'm like, oh, well, actually, I can't get angry in my body. Oh, I'm already bloated and cramping. Who cares if I have a little bit more? Like it's just gonna add to. Who cares? Like I'm yeah. not gonna feel any better anytime soon. Yeah, um, so that's that's that self sabotage. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like it's an old-fashioned saying, but it's this the old-fashioned saying is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> and my grandmother used to say it when I was a kid. But essentially, to give you an example of that, you know, like when we're really, really stressed. And so, you know, last year I spent a lot of time in palliative care with my mother. And it was very stressful and it was awful and it was all, all the things that it is, you know, because it's just that's just not a fun time in life, you know. And so, but what I did, I didn't say there's nothing I can do. I was limited control of what I was eating and access to food, and I was, wasn't staying at home, and I was limited control to lots of things. But what I did have control of is I could go out and walk. She was in Gosford Hospital. I walked up that hill every day, right? And the day it was pouring rain, I walked up and down the stairs and I walked the length of the hospital and back. What I did have control of is that palliative care ward is has a balcony, and I went out and looked at the sunset every night. And just, you know, took in how beautiful that was. What I did have control of is I could put music on my phone and I could plug that in maybe for five minutes to just listen to a song that would just change how I felt. Or I would connect with people if I needed support or if I needed help or ask for help. And when I could and when I was able to, I was like, okay, I really need to eat protein. I'm eating protein now. You know, so it's like 
what we do is we throw the baby out of the bathwater. We think I'm stressed, all this thing is happening, so therefore I cannot practice any self-care. And rather than having that mindset of all or nothing, which is a really big issue that many of us have, my, you know, my invitation to you is to kind of look at, okay, just what is it that I can do today? And the only thing you might be able to do is just breathe. And that might be the only thing that's in your control today. But you can do that. You can go, oh, look, I'll just... I'll just breathe for a moment because I'm shallow breathing and my poor body probably thinks I'm about to get eaten by a bear. And even though this is really challenging, I'm not about to die this immediate moment. So I'll just breathe for a moment, right? That is in your control. So really it's it's rather than kind of um, it's all or nothing, uh, all or nothing mentality never gets anyone anywhere. I think it's just what does self-care look like today? And you can always do something. Oh, that's brilliant. That's a great way to wrap things up. I just want to ask you now, how can people connect with you? So um, my business is called Informed Health. I'm all over socials. It's informedhealth.com.au or otherwise Insta, Facebook. Um, Just if you look up Informed Health, you will find me. I'm all over the place. So, And, uh, yeah, I'll pop up everywhere. Just type in my name or type in Informed Health and you will find me. Excellent. Thank you so much, Fiona. I really enjoyed our chat today. I'm glad we can make this work. Um, and thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. You can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au. Uh, if you enjoy listening, please subscribe and leave me a rating and a review via your podcast platform of choice and grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials to get the message out there. If you're interested in connecting with me, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. Just search for Leanne Shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show. You can also find me on Instagram under Leanne Shelton 247 or book in a free 15 minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.